Baseball Hall of Famer Jason Stark. And then the robot said, strike. That's why you're going in the Hall of Fame. It's an inside the park home run. Doug Glanville. Mike tried his coffee at Starbucks with a double latte. Skinny Jason Stark <laughs> is against humanity. Take away the human elements of Starkville. Doug, are you ready to make some podcast magic? I am ready. Bring on the magic wand. Let's do it. <laughs> Greetings and welcome to a special NL East, AL East season preview edition of Starkville. I'm Jason Stark, joined by my good friend Doug Glanville. But Doug, once again, we're not driving this bus today. Uh, momentarily, we will be tossing to our friend Mark Carrig, and he'll be leading a discussion of those two divisions in that, what's the term, Costas-esque style he's so famous for. Uh, he'll be with the 10 writers who cover the NL East and AL East for The Athletic. But first, Doug, we get to talk. So let's talk about these two divisions, uh, start with the NL East. I think this is the toughest division in baseball, top to bottom. You have four teams built to win. Um, even the Marlins, all of a sudden, have a bunch of young arms nobody wants to hit against. Literally Anybody from the Braves, Nationals, Mets, and Phillies could win this division. But I personally love the Braves. Uh, now that Freddie Freeman is back, seems like he's okay. Very grateful for that. I'm back to thinking this is a team that could not just win this division, but surprise some people and win the World Series. So how do you see the East, the NL East? It's loaded. I mean, the East is loaded, and I think... It's a, a, you know, these teams are also pretty evenly matched. We know the Nationals lost to Rendon. The Braves are a really strong team. I mean, I remember I spent half my career or more chasing the Braves to no avail. Yes, I was tired did. of seeing them post up banners after banner. <laughs> but they're they're that they're back. You know, they're back. They were they were great last season with the ninety seven win. So, um, so I see them taking taking that division and. I think the Mets are going to do really well this season. I think they're this is their year. They've rounded out some players. You know, they got some 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 new action in there. Obviously, uh, the polar bear doing his damage. I, they're gonna they're they're gonna be tough. I I see them getting past that. You know, twenty what is it, you know thirty and thirty. I see they're gonna be over five hundred and be in the race. And and everybody, you know, Phillies right there with them. So this is going to be a fun division to watch. It's, it's going to be old school National League baseball. Yeah, really fun. Uh, all right, what about the ALEs, Doug? Uh, the Yankees are a monster. The Rays have no holes anywhere on the field. How do you see that division? Yeah, it's it's hard to not put the Yankees atop the division because of their explosiveness and playing in, that, in the ballpark that's tailor-made for their power hitters. And right now, knock on wood for the Yankees, they're healthy, so... So that uh, that bodes well for them putting up a ton of runs, and and of course you know they they still also have the pitching to go with it. So they're 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 tough. They can bash you right out of the season. But the Rays, you know, similar to what we discussed a little ways while back with the A's, uh, the A's are a team that have this matchup, and that's what the Rays do. They find ways to put themselves in position situationally to gain advantage, and with the fact that they're a small sample size. You know, this could be something that'd be highly successful because if you figure out a team 
early in the season and you play them 10 times, you're gaining a lot of ground in your division very quickly. And, and that's something if the Rays do against the Yankees, that could flip this division on its head. So uh, the boldest prediction I do have, however, is that the Orioles will not reach their win total from a season ago. That's my bold prediction. <laughs> well, you, you realize they're playing 100 fewer games, right? <laughs> so <laughs> so I, I do like your chances of that one being right. Uh, look, you don't need me to tell you how good the Yankees are, so I'm going to tell you how good the Rays are. Here's what I see when I look at the Rays. Versatility. Depth. Uh, this interchangeability, is that a word, uh, of arms and position players. And that feels like it's such a big factor, potentially, in a season where, I don't know, somebody could get tangled up in a COVID protocol someday and not be available at the last minute. The Rays are one of those teams, they always have someone to plug in. They are really dangerous in a season like this. But frankly, who cares what I think? Who cares what you think? Let's see what our fabulous roster of NL East and AL East writers think. So you and I will be back later with our predictions. But now let's turn this discussion over to Mark Carrig. Nando, we'll start with you, man. What's it going to take? How many wins for the NL East? Go. Oh, man. Uh, you know what? With Stroma going down now, and I don't believe in the Nationals personally, I think the Phillies are going to be awesome with Joe Girardi. 38? Number, 38? No, stop beating around the bush. My bad. 38. Sorry. 38. All right. Gelb, Megan, Phillies, go. How many wins it'll take? Yep. I don't know. I think they're going to – I don't think anyone's going to pull away. I, I give it 35. 35. Well, that's what I was going to say, but now I can't copy that answer. So <laughs> I, I think it'll be a division where they'll beat up on each other for the most part, and with the Marlins being better, it'll be tougher. So I'm, I'll go uh, I'll go 34. 34. D.O.B. I'll go 36. 36. Man. Yeah. All I right. kind of agree with them. I don't – playing the AL East, I don't think anybody's going to go on a huge run or anything. Yeah, you're probably right. Eno. I'm going to go with 35. That's uh, 94.5 wins if you scale it out. Ooh. Yeah. Math nerd. Damn it. All right. <laughs> See, I couldn't do that. If I'd have I just same. <laughs> I could have come up with same. a better answer. <laughs> same. Uh, let's hop over to the East. Jen McCaffrey, what do you got? You know, I was doing that same math as Eno, so yeah, nine, 35, yeah. I, Copy, I, yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> All right. Um, Adler, where, where are you at with this? Um, well, I'm self-conscious now that everyone's saying 35. <laughs> I was going to go with 38, maybe 39. I mean, the Yankees and the Rays can really, like, slug it out, so. Whatever. I stand with you. I'm, I think I'm, I'm right in that neighborhood, too. No one asked, but I'm just saying. I, <laughs> I don't. I don't know what that winning percentage is. I don't. I don't know if Eno. Eno, what is it? What do you got, Eno? What, what's the winning percent? No. <laughs> there no, 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 no. Fires there is one oh three. Third. One oh three. Oh, hey. Just like last year. Just like last year. Um, Tolentino. What's the number? I was gonna say thirty eight, but I go. I guess I'll go uh, thirty seven. I mean, the Yankees were really one of the only teams that the Rays struggled against last year, um, and I could. I could see them slugging it out, like what Lindsay said. Mm-hmm. And Caitlin, with the Canadian conversion, what is the number? Mm, I don't know about that, but I think it'll be 38. Uh, and it just is between the Rays and the Yankees, no contest. We're, so somewhere around okay. there, maybe 39. I don't know. Okay, okay. Hey, it could happen. Um, 
such a weird division with the spread. Like the top and bottom of it is just like remarkable. I mean, Tommy Malone, Garrett Cole, literally opening day. It's like holy shit. Anyway. Yeah, I think I think you could push that one to like forty or forty-one. I mean, yeah, you're talking about you're talking about sixty games. Like the Yankees could could pull off a, a crazy stretch, you know, or or the Rays. I, I think might be 40 as much you know it, even though that scales out to something that sounds ridiculous you wouldn't project a team to win like 105 or whatever right right okay well let, let's get to the second pre-planned question here and, and you know again just going to go around the horn before we open it up to some of the questions that are piling up here including someone who appears to be claimed to be blake snell uh Tolentini, you can confirm or deny that i don't know but anyway um you know it, just curious, like general prediction for each of your teams and then for the folks that don't know them as well as you do, like just a, a player to keep an eye on. We'll start in Tampa Bay. Josh, what do you got? A player to keep an eye on? Mm-hmm. Um, man, I think we, we got to go with like an outside acquisition and, some, you know, by the way of Yoshi Susugo, he slammed mm-hmm. like 100, near 140 home runs over the past three seasons in Japan. And um, going into uh, the off season last year, you know, the Rays took the Astros to the brink game five and really throughout that series. And really whenever they played New York, the the biggest disparity or the biggest difference in the, the teams was that, you know, the Rays very good pitching, very good defense, but uh, offensively they, they just couldn't match their at bats. I mean, just looking at the lineups and, you know, they added a couple power hitters in Susugo and Renfro. Um, so they're really confident in their starters, uh, you know, with, Snell, Morton, Glass now leading that group. Uh, the bullpen had one of the, the best ERAs in the AL last year, um, but they're hoping to bridge that gap offensively to, you know, really uh, kind of compete with the, the Yankees in the 60-game sprint. Are they going to win the division? Uh, I, I still gave it to New York. I think, I think I mean, it's just exactly what we say, you know, it's tough with the with that um, lineup. And then, um, I know we mentioned that they're they're relatively healthy, but missing Meadows uh, that's a that's a pretty big uh, hole there. And you know he's already on the IL, and you know that would lead you to believe that his symptoms are a little bit more serious. Um, he's been a little bit active on social media, you know, commenting uh, here lately over the past couple of days. But he hasn't been at the field, and whenever he does get back, he's going to need live at bats, and that's their leadoff guy, especially against right off um, right handed pitching and. Uh, without Meadows, whenever he does come back, he's going to need time to, to ramp back up. And who knows, maybe that's already a few weeks into the season. Jen McCaffrey for the uh, Mookie Betts-less Boston Red Sox prediction. And, uh, hey, somebody to watch. That's, it's an interesting team there, at least uh, lineup-wise. But who do you got? Yeah, I guess prediction-wise, I think, you know, an optimistic look would be, like, 500. You know, I can't see them doing too much better. Fangrax actually has them at 31 and 29. Uh, so maybe they're being a little optimistic there, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think, you know, if you're, if you're looking at guys to watch, you, you have to go with the two guys that are filling in the spots, you know, movie spots lead off and right field. And that's Andrew Benintendi and, and, uh, for Alex Verdugo, who they got in the trade for Mookie, um, back in February. So Verdugo's kind of had a slow spring. Um, there's going to be a lot of attention obviously on him as, you know, the guy, the major league piece for, for the Mookie Betts trade, obviously with the Jeter Downs and Connor Wong as the the, uh, the, the prospect pieces, um, and, and they're actually in the player pool, but I don't know that they'll see too much time. But Verdugo, you know, Verdugo and Benintendi kind of almost have a similar kind of, uh, I guess, um, just in the, are similar in the sense that they they have a lot of potential there. Um, they just haven't had this breakout yet. Benintendi had a good year a couple years ago, but really hasn't 
made it too consistent. So he's going to be taking over that leadoff spot uh, for Mookie Betts. And if he, you know, he's going to be driving, going to need to drive this offense um, because, you know, otherwise that's, that's the offense is all this team has. Obviously there's so many questions about the rotation, the bullpen and everything, you know, that, that they're going to do with that. Um, so if they have any chance of making a second wild card, and it will be a second wild card because it'll be Reds, it'll be Yankees or Rays winning the division and the other wild card will go, will go to the Rays or Yankees. So th- that'll be their only, uh, their only shot is a second wild card. And that's, you know, I think that's kind of optimistic at this point, but uh, everything kind of really goes off this offense and, and Ben and Tendi leading off is, is going to need to, uh, need to, you know, keep things churning um, at the top there. So. We'll change it up with Dano and Baltimore. Uh, what are the chances that the Orioles make some miraculous, crazy 60-game sprint run and sneak in through the side door? And, and, and I guess the second question is, five years from now, what player have you seen in the last month uh, do you think is still going to be on this roster and contributing for, for a winning Baltimore Orioles club if the plan goes right? First of all, it would have to be a really big side door like the biggest side <laughs> you could ever imagine. Um, you know, this team lost 17 of 19 to the Yankees last year. Is that good? Right? And that's when they had a guy named Mancini and VR and, and Bundy. I mean, they're obviously in a rebuild, and this is not, you know, I mean, it's a bad it, – it's the pitching staff. I mean, they're, they're five right now, assuming – and we'll go with Means as your number one because that's eventually what it is. They have Means, Alex Cobb, who hasn't been able to stay healthy, obviously a lot of talent. And then you look at the other three guys, Wade LeBlanc, uh, Asher Wojciechowski, and uh, Tommy Malone, you hope that they can do something. They have a lot of – I mean, it's actually a veteran staff. But, you know, it's not a good pitching staff, at least what we would see in the American League East. So, you know, Vegas has them at, at, at 20 and a half. And I think that that's probably might be a little bit adventurous for the Orioles. I think maybe 18-19 is probably a better, you know, over-under at this moment. Um, as far as who's going to be there in five years, not a lot of these guys, but they do have an offense that has some some promising guys. They had six guys who hit 12 home runs or more last year that were age 26 or, young, or younger. And the guy I think that's most interesting to watch there is Anthony Santander, who is, you know, obviously we'll see what the COVID-19 situation has been for him. But the guy hit 20 home runs and 400 at-bats. He was a considered a, a pretty impressive prospect with the Indians before he got hurt and the Orioles stole him in the Rule 5. Uh, so I think he's a guy to watch. He's 25 now. And Austin Hayes, uh, I think he just turned 24. He was your center fielder last year, about over 300 in September. Um, and he's got, he's got a lot of different tools. So he, these are two guys to kind of keep an eye on. But, I mean, it's, it, it's going to be a long, long short season in Baltimore most likely. Adler, Fisher, what do you got with the Yankees? What, what do they end up doing here? And, uh, you know, they're loaded with great – players obviously but who in that group do you think is someone that isn't being talked about that maybe should be given the context of the season I'm gonna go with John Carlos Stanton mm. um, we just haven't really seen well we didn't really see Stanton last year we didn't even really see him at like his full capacity in 2018 he is a difference maker I think that's been forgotten and so you know he's he's healthy going into the season and I you know, I think he's someone who's, I think people have forgotten what, what an impact he has. And it's because we just haven't seen him enough. Um, you know, I think, I think the Yankees are built to 
wear other teams down and outlast other teams through through a 162 game season whereas I think the Rays are like perfectly built for a 60 game season um so I think it kind of brings them up a little bit more evenly matched but like you know as with anything with the Yankees like it it comes down to health it comes down to you know a few different factors but uh you know adding Garrett Cole bolstering the bolstering the rotation and now going in with with full health, I think this is about as good as they can ask for. And I think, you know, really this is the first time that we're seeing the optimal um, health and strength of their, of their lineup and, uh, and the depth that they have. Uh, Caitlin McGrath, let's predict a record uh, player to keep an eye on and uh, a home city for the Blue Jays, please. Uh I think they'll win 28 games. Um, and in terms of home city, I don't know. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm leaning towards Buffalo at this point just because I've been, I've been let down by the, the major league plan. Um, I, I guess I can kind of surmise what's going on there and then I'll get into the team because I think it kind of plays together. Um, Blue Jays hope to play in Canada. They asked the federal government to give them special permission to play here, and that would have involved basically having an exemption to crossing the border back and forth between uh, Canada and the United States. It also would have involved a, a quarantine. So in Canada, if you come into this country, you have to quarantine for 14 days. Uh, the Blue Jays were asking to be exempted from that but instead they would kind of operate in a bubble environment. So they would have lived in the Rogers Center, which has the hotel attached to it. They would have done that the entire summer. Um, they, wouldn't have, they would not have been allowed outside. Um, and then when visiting clubs came here, they would do the same thing. Canada ultimately said, no, uh, we just don't like the travel. You can't play here. Blue Jays went to plan B. Um, they thought they could play at PNC Park. Uh, they have good ties with the Pittsburgh organization. That looked like it was a go as of last night. Dan can confirm that it looked like it was a go last night. Uh, this morning I woke up, was ready to write my Blue Jays are playing in Pittsburgh story, and it all fell apart today. Um, their state health department wasn't comfortable again with having sort of more travel involved. So now the Blue Jays are back to the drawing board. They're still looking at other major league parks to play in. That could be Camden Yards. Uh, or they could also go down to Buffalo and play at the AAA park. This is a young rebuilding team. I think everybody's pretty familiar with the faces of the Blue Jays um, franchise, Bo Bichette, uh, uh, Kevin Biggio, and uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Uh, they're still – developing uh, the hope is that they'll get a lot better and the Blue Jays have a lot of nice pieces um, they bolstered their rotation which was awful last year they used 21 different starting pitchers which was a franchise record uh, they added Hanjin Ryu he's their main guy he's going to be the ace the opening day starter um, so the hope is that the Blue Jays are going to make some improvements and some gains over their season last year they're definitely a rebuilding club that's uh, you know steps ahead of a, a team like the Orioles they're more like two years away and then just quick player to watch um, a guy like Jordan Romano he's a, a local kid uh, he's from Markham Ontario which is just outside of Toronto and he kind of rebuilt himself as a reliever um, and he's throwing harder he's bulked up he's kind of focusing on fastball slider he's got a really nice slider he's almost got some Ken Giles-esque in him um, he kind of looks like a guy that could be a secret weapon from the Blue Jays bullpen which overall is much better than it has been in the past they're they have a lot of power guys, which they, they lacked in the past. So it is an intriguing group, and they are a team to watch. I just can't tell you where you can watch them from yet. All right, before we go to the National League, a quick thumbs up, thumbs down from the panel here. 
Uh, designated hitter in the National League. Thumbs up, thumbs down, go. Who wants to defend the stupid-ass rule in the National League? Uh, the, uh, the, the math is that the, the pitchers are now worse at batting than they've ever been in the history of baseball. And the, really, the reason for this is, you know, Andy Suarez stepped to the plate here in San Francisco for his Major League debut. It was the first time he'd, he'd swung a bat since middle school. They're not teaching these kids to hit. There's, there's a DH in the minor leagues. There's a DH in colleges. They're not swinging the bat. And when they step to the plate, they look like they don't know what they're doing. And it's terrible. Wow. That's the best argument I've ever heard. I didn't realize that they're worse than they've ever been. Which makes <laughs> I might have to reevaluate my old school curmudgeonly stance about this. Ian. They're like 150% worse than league average. What? Yes. What, what's that? What's that OPS plus? What does that look that's like? A, that's an OPS plus of negative 50. <laughs> <laughs> to the senior circuit, the Eastern Division, D-O-B. What, what is up with this Braves prediction and uh, who should we be keeping an eye on there? It's an well, interesting team. Even when we were going through the earlier COVID stuff, I failed to mention they had an opt-out as well. A, a couple of important ones, actually. Felix yeah. Hernandez, King Felix was supposed to be the number five starter. He was battling Sean Newcomb, and Felix actually looked really good in spring training. Granted, diminished stuff, but Wiley and all that, and Guile, and they were they were counting on him, and he opted out, said ain't making enough to to make it worthwhile, basically. And uh, and then Nick Markakis, who was about the last guy I would have thought would opt out. Then I started thinking about why, you know, he's a guy that's regimented down to the second, his pregame routines and all that. And when he got here, he found out that's upside down because he couldn't do any of that stuff that he normally does to get ready for a game. Mm -hmm. At age 36, I think he just said, you know, he talked to Freddie when Freddie was at his absolute worst, the night he had the 104 temperature. And he said Freddie sounded like death. And uh, Nick decided not to play. So, you know, not it's not the Nick of old, but he was still going to be their five-hole hitter a lot of days. So – you know, that's two pretty significant opt-outs in addition to, you know, their, their COVID guys. But to get to the prediction, I think they're going to win the division. Um, they, won the, they won the division last year, too, and the, and the Nationals won the World Series. So it's not like I'm, you know, dissing the Nationals or anything. Because Sounds I like he's the, dissing the Nationals, but. I think the Nationals will push them. They'll go back and forth or they'll push the Nationals, one of the two. You, you know, you're. We know the Mets have got some injuries. Otherwise, if the Mets were fully healthy with that pitching staff, I would say the Mets probably, but they're not. And I'm not sold on the Phillies. And the Marlins are just, you know, kind of the Orioles of this division for now. So I think the Braves will win it, but I'm not, I don't say that with a lot of conviction. I think they'll win. Uh, whatever I said would take to win the division, I'll say that's how they'll win. But, you know, I just think it's a, the coin flip this division. And you to toss in the AL East element. Uh, they don't play the Orioles as much as I think the Nationals play them six times. Ultimately, that could make a difference. Who knows? The Braves don't. They play them, I think, four times. So, anyway, um, you know, it's a good team. It's a real good team. The top, on, on who to look for, the easy thing is to say Acuna because I think him and Soto are the best two young players in the league. Acuna is – whatever people say about him, he's that good. He really is. There's nothing hype about him. He's the real thing. Uh, but that's too obvious. I think the first three guys are as good as anybody in the league, one, two, three, with him, Ozzy, and Freddie. But after that, you got some big question marks. And I think the biggest question mark might be Marcelo Zuna, who they get to hit fourth. And he's no Josh Donaldson, not at this stage of his career. He's only 30. But he is a far 
cry from what he was with the Marlins three years ago when he won a gold glove and, and they had part of that incredible outfield they had. He was okay with Cardinals, not great, um, despite what he did against the Braves in the division series. But he, Donaldson was huge last year for the Braves in the cleanup spot, hitting behind Freddie. And I haven't seen anything from Azuna to tell me that he's going to be even close to that, hitting fourth, if he, and, and that's assuming he's going to hit fourth. Mm-hmm. A lot of questions after the top two. Yeah. Uh, Philadelphia, uh, Megan, Koala. What do we got as far as a prediction and, um, you know, who are we watching? That's kind of an interesting bunch too. I mean, for me, I think th- this team should be one of the best hitting teams in the league. I mean, they're one of the teams that benefit the most from the DH coming to the National League. You now can have Jay Bruce and Andrew McCutcheon in some combination uh, in the lineup every day. That is a deep lineup where, you know, you could have Gregorius hitting sixth or seventh in the lineup, depending where they want him. Um, So for me, the player to watch, though, is going to come on the pitching side because there's so many questions. Um, The the bullpen in particular uh, is very uncertain. So I'm actually going to go with Vince Velasquez. Um, Joe Girardi said today he's starting game three for them uh, this weekend, uh, Sunday's game against the Marlins. He picked up a a cutter during the three-month layoff and has incorporated that. He further developed his changeup, and he looked really great during summer camp, really effective using four pitches, pretty much won't be using his slider much anymore. Um, And this is really a make-or-break season for him. I mean, this is another chance for him to show he can be a starter, and they really need him to step up because after Aaron Nolan, Zach Wheeler – you have a lot of question marks. Are you counting on Jake Arrieta who hasn't been healthy the last two years uh, or Zach Eflin who hasn't um, pitched in a game this summer because of back spasms. So Vince can be a a game changer for them if he can step up and and give them some consistency. Gal, what do you got? I'll just say I've got them at 30 wins. Uh, Just, just no bullpen. Uh, I think Mm -hmm. The bullpen is a major concern for them, and I think in a short season in a division that's going to be tight, uh, competitive division, I think that's really going to hurt. And my player to watch uh, is really off the board. Uh, it's Roman Quinn. Uh, I think this season is built for Roman Quinn. Uh, he's, you know, he's he's not a guy you think of, but uh, he's had trouble staying healthy. They just need to keep him healthy for sixty games, and when he's on the field, this guy hits for power. He's really fast. Uh, he's an exciting player. Uh, this this could be a, a great chance for him to to really change the narrative on his career and and he's a guy that has really impressed me in summer camp. I I hope they change the name of this thing to this season was built for Roman Quinn. I love it. Um, Eno Saras double duty fish Mets predictions players to watch. Uh, for the Mets, uh, I'll give them uh, I'll give them thirty two wins and a wild card spot. I think. Um, I think that there are some teams that can beat up on uh, in the East uh, that uh, might keep them above the fray and uh, and get them in a wild card spot. They have a good lineup. They have a good bullpen. In terms of guys that I, I think to watch, I, there's like depth guys I think you could think about in terms of like Dellen Batances. If he's who he used to be, then that bullpen is really good. Um, and David Peterson, like if he's an okay starter, then then maybe they could make it work. Um, you know, there's, there's all these depth guys, but the guy that I think you got to watch for the Mets is Michael Conforto, because I think he has the talent to be like a superstar. Um, and I, 
I don't think that I'm, I'm not saying that his performance to date hasn't been great, uh, but I think there's another level. And if he like if he adds that other level, like him and like maybe Ahmed Rosario, then that's just like a really good lineup. There's like mm-hmm. not really a great. There's not really a hole, you know. Uh, and you've got like your stick guy McNeil. You've got power. You've got uh, Nimmo as your on base guy. So like if Conforto takes another step, then you got a legitimate three four in the middle of like a really solid lineup. And that's when people will be like, oh yeah, the Mets are okay. Um, so you know, I think that's uh, that's the, the something that they, they need. Um, for the fish, um, you know, I think it could be a pretty bad season. I guess the, the, the rotation looks okay. So I'll give them a little bit more than, uh, I had to do the math on the 18 that Connolly was given the, the Orioles. Uh, uh, that's a, that's like a 112, you know, lost season. Um, I'll give them a little more than that. I'll give them uh, 19 or 20 at least. Um, and uh which is I a think huge guy, difference in 60 games by the way you're talking two games like whoa that's a big swing yeah right <laughs> uh but uh, i think they'll be pretty bad um uh but uh you know with lewis brinson out i do think monty harrison gets a chance and uh, they're kind of similar players and like they they have a lot of power but they're not a lot of great plate discipline um and so i'm i'm, I'm looking at those two uh, Pablo Lopez and Sandy Alcantara are the, the, the starting pitchers that have great stuff or have at least good stuff and have been tweaking around the edges. And if those guys take a step forward, then you've got like a little, little bit of a core for me. You're going to be like, okay, Brian Anderson's our solid guy. Monty Harrison's our power guy. We've got two starters in Pablo and Sandy, and we're going to just start building around that. But, um, you, know, I, I, we're, you know, we're doing, you and I are doing a piece. Uh, that should drop tomorrow. And one of the respondents, we were asking people, you know, who gets hurt or who gets the benefit uh, of this season. And one of the respondents uh, said the Marlins might be hurt more than anybody, uh, not to not to steal from our piece. But uh, and they were saying that basically this is like year one of a Marlins rebuild program. Uh, and if you just chop off year one at the knees in terms of um, not, not having any of these minor leaguers play ball, like yeah. maybe maybe it's the Orioles and Marlins that really uh, feel this year the most because uh, the lack of minor leagues is almost more of a glaring difference this yeah. year than the length of the schedule because at least the major leaguers get to play ball. You know, like it might be only sixty games, but they get to play ball. You know, the minor leaguers are like I, I did a story where there's a minor leaguer playing men's league. You mm-hmm. know, like and what's he learning? He, he had an eighty percent strikeout rate. Uh, in men's league. I mean, what's he, what's he learning? Yeah. Nothing. I mean, and like, you know, that was such a great idea on your part, you know, like to, to ask that question of the guys. And I thought the responses, and you'll see the piece tomorrow, the responses for that question I thought were really interesting about you know, essentially who gets hurt the most by not having a minor league season. Um, Nando, world champs, man. Bring it home. What's up with the Nats? Prediction. Who are we watching over there? Besides the uh, new third they, baseman, I guess. They got a shot. Well, yeah. They got a shot to repeat. Uh, you know, it's you see everybody talking about how their rotations are kind of hurt right now. You know, Cole Hamill's out, Marcus Stroman's out, so they got an advantage because the rotation's really good, and all five are kind of still there pretty solidly. Um, but who knows? It's a short season. I still think maybe you get the 30, 37, 38 wins to win it, just because it's tight. You're not going to have that grueling one sixty-two game stretch. So I mean, you're not going to lose as many people, hopefully, and just keep like your your A team in there, I guess, for most of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple guys to watch. Generic Thames before he can still hit home runs. He's not going to have Zimmerman in that platoon thing anymore. Um, and you know with that three batter minimum now. I don't know what the pinch hitting, bringing in other relievers is going to look like if they put that lineup together right. Like, do you bring in a lefty to face a lefty? 
if you got two righties coming up and you know they have to stay in for those two. So maybe he'll play a little more than the, the straight platoon suggests. Um, and Yadiel Hernandez is like a 32-year-old Cuban who spent the last two years in the minor leagues and, I mean, like, hammered the ball. 33 home runs last year. When he was playing in Cuba, he had like a 400-plus uh, OBP every year. He's good. There's not a spot for him right now, but, I mean, you know, Howie Kendrick's kind of old. You never know. Weird things can happen. Yadiel Hernandez could play his way into that lineup and do some damage. So keep an eye on them. And congratulations, Britt. Yeah, congrats, Britt. Here. That's right. Yeah. That's why we have a pinch hitter. Um, like, I want to get to some questions before we go. We're running kind of tight on time, so we could be really quick. There are a couple of good questions in here. I'll start with you, Eno. David Peterson, you mentioned it before. Do uh, you think they end up giving him a break there as a fifth starter, yes or no? I, I think so, but maybe he only gets three innings or something and it ends up looking like a bullpen game. Uh, they just don't necessarily uh, have that de- deep of a bullpen yet uh, to do, I think, the bullpen day every day. Um, and and this, we're talking about like the seventh, eighth, and ninth relievers <laughs> uh, given the, 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 uh, the size of the roster in the first couple of weeks. So uh, I think they will try to have somebody go out there for, for three or four innings at least. Okay. The Phillies crew. We've got a question about Didi Gregorius, uh, the noted shortstop, excellent photographer. Uh, how long is he sticking around there? I mean, for the Phillies, I, I think you look at what they have coming up their system. I mean, their top shortstop prospects are down at the lower levels, A-ball. So, you know, depending on how he plays and what kind of contract he's looking for, maybe you re-sign him for a year, maybe two. Um, there's no one necessarily – immediately pushing to get back up, get to the mine, get to the majors and, you know, threaten his job. So it would be interesting to see. I mean, they have some money coming off the books and Arietta's deal ending and obviously Didi's only a one-year deal. So it would be interesting to see if that's something that they would consider. I mean, I think, yeah, I mean, he signed a one-year deal as like sort of a pillow deal to reestablish his value. And it's going to be hard for him to reestablish a lot of value in a 60 game season in the middle of the pandemic. So if he likes it in Philly, and has a good, you know, a decent season, and his market isn't great. Yeah, I think he could be back. Okay, all right. Um, for Lindsey Adler, and also for Fisher, how much do you expect Miguel Andujar to play this season in left field or elsewhere? I think it's interesting that they're going to try to basically bounce him around and find him playing time. I think. You know, they've had him in left field. They've had him at third. They've had him at first. I think they've had him at right. So. Really, whatever you can think of, like they're going to try to find him playing time. And I think he's really kind of that guy who, you know, like the Yankees generally like to give guys days off. But I think now that's going to be an interesting balance. But, you know, you really want to make sure guys are safe. So I think they're, I mean, I think he does have a really good chance to contribute. You know, they obviously think very highly of him. I mean, he can still hit. So um, I don't exactly know what his situation is going to look like, but it'll be here, there, and everywhere, I think. DOB, you kind of mentioned this a couple of times. I'll, I'll sort of tweak the question that gets asked here because it's about the rotation. Um, scale of one to five, one being, oh, my God, we don't have any pitchers, and five being, oh, my God, Greg Maddox just walked through the door. All right? Like, what is your level of concern with, Starter, the starting rotation after you get from that two spot, like is it like how bad could this be in your opinion? Oh well, I wrote in my my previous story. I think that they they legitimately could be 
one of the best two or three young rotations in the league, or they legitimately could be one of the worst two or three rotations in the league. If Newcomb and Fulte do not, if they, if they are at the bad end of their erratic scale, because they're both really inconsistent. Fulte last year started out like crap, was over six ERA, got sent down to AAA, comes back, pitches to about a two, low twos ERA, you know, in over 10 starts, then goes into the division series, pitches his ass off in game two, outpitches Flaherty and wins game two. And then in game five, they give up 10 runs in the first inning. He gets one out. So, I mean, they they could go. And then five, it could be you fill in with a guy, Kyle Wright, who has almost no major league experience, or Josh Tomlin, who's 36 now. So, until Hamels gets back. And then how much has Hamels got left? Can he stay healthy? So, I would say after the two – it's a pretty high level concern, but at the same time, they could be really good. It's just that, you know, and Alex Anthopoulos, he'll move quickly. If, if he has to get, he'll find a way to bring somebody else in. If he has to, he already brought in uh, Chassin and we could end up seeing Julius Chassin in that rotation because as bad as he was last year, Chassin was really good in the two previous seasons. I mean, both those seasons, he was really good. I don't know what happened to him last year, but if he can recapture some of that, he's going to have a spot in this rotation. All right, before we go, a couple little items. Uh, Josh Tolentino, man, best of luck with the uh, Miami Dolphins. Looking forward to what you do there. Going to miss you on the baseball side, dude. So, um, you know, just wanted to say, I'll give you a shout-out there for the great work you did covering the race for us. And then just one last thumbs up, thumbs down. It was like 2 o'clock in the morning, and I stupidly looked at Twitter, and what did I see? A Beau Bichette meme, and I couldn't stop. Could not stop. Uh, Bo Bichette meme, thumbs up, thumbs down, go. Oh, hell yeah. Yes. Yeah. See, that's what I, this is my room. Yeah, the koala would be a hater. Total. What a thumbs hater. Down, thumbs down, I was so proud great. of my Eno one. I was so proud of it. <laughs> you know? We really, really wanted to ask him about that today, but then everything happened. And we had no opportunity to talk. <laughs> like, me, I'll, try, I'll try and ask him if he's seen the memes at some point you have yeah. to you gotta like i mean would he be the type that would appreciate it caitlin he would so. he's a little bit shy honestly so i think that he would kind of feel like, he would kind of feel a little bit shy about it that all this kind of funny attention is on him i think that other guys in the room might tease him more about it than he would kind of even care about it um he's not a big social media guy either so it's interesting because, uh, uh, Hey, thanks a lot for joining us guys. This is a lot of fun. AL East NL East. This is a good crew. Follow them all on Twitter. Uh, there's some interesting stories out in the East. Uh, good luck everybody. See you down the road. Be safe. And thanks for joining us. Wow. So much excellent insight from that group. I am Jason Stark. Back in the Starkville Control Center with Doug Glanville. Just built that control center. Uh, and Doug, this is where we get to predict. So here is what I see in the NL East. I see the Braves going 34-26 and 26 and winning that division. I see Ronald Acuna Jr. as a top three MVP finisher. And you know what else? I see no other team in this division making the postseason because they're going to spend the whole season beating up on each other. So how about you? All right, this is my bold position. I'm going to get even a little more specific in in a ridiculous kind of way. But the Braves, I agree with you. I, they're they're loaded and they're young and they're exciting, and uh, they you know they stay healthy. 
they're going to do a lot of damage and and they're just you know that much more experience going into the season from last year's postseason. I'd say the Mets are going to be a wild card team in a three-way tie situation where they tie the Cubs <laughs> and the Arizona Diamondbacks. I think it's just going to be that ridiculous because there's so many teams that are evenly matched not only just in the East but in the Central. And and so that dynamics is going to keep them in the season, but I just see them getting over the hump this year. They just, they're better. And, you know, it's something different about the environment that, you know, there's no fans. They're just going to have a different brand of baseball and, and they have some new, new leadership. So uh, yeah. So Braves, a top Mets wild card, a three-way tie. And then they're just going to play some crazy tiebreaker scenario. <laughs> In my numbers that define baseball, I predicted a six-way tie. Because That's right. Get 17 teams projected by fan graphs to win between 30 and 33 oh. games. So could get nuts. All right. What about the AL East? The Yankees are so scary. Uh, Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stanton just look locked in right now. I think they finish 1-2 in the league in homers. Uh, and the Yankees go, uh, I don't know, 35-25 and 25 to win the division. But as I said earlier, this 60-game format under these conditions is just built for the Rays. So I think they go 34-26. and 26. They lose the division on the final day. And they play the A's in an incredibly dramatic wildcard game. How do you see the ALEs, Doug? Well, the Yankees and Rays are going to be neck and neck all season long. And I think the way they're just going to beat up on each other, because I don't think the Rays by any stretch are going to fold against the Yankees head-to-head. It's just whether they beat up on the other teams in the division, uh, being the Red Sox, uh, Blue Jays, and Orioles. So, uh, you know, I'll give the nod to the Yankees, but I see it going right to the wire. They're somewhere in the high 30s and wins. And I, I think they steamroll a lot of teams this season. Okay, that's going to do it for another special season preview edition of Starkville. We'll be back next week with our usual Starkville format. Uh, and Doug, we'll have actual regular season baseball to talk about. What a concept. So we will see you all soon on Starkville. <laughs>